constant in college rugby is change. And there has been monumental changes in the last 15 years. Welcome back, everyone, to the FCC Rugby Podcast. I am your commissioner and host, Kirk Swanner. Also on the chat today, we got the FRU general manager, uh, Evan Haig. Evan, how are you doing today, mate? Uh, doing great, Kirk. Wonderful Friday before a big game. All right, so today's chat, we're going to talk about why we need all clubs in Florida to be traveling with 30 players, like why we need to be striving for 30. We need everyone to get that. So, um, you know, like Evan just talked about, they're taking 29 players up to Florida State, you know, so they're going to be playing a 15s match and 11s match. Uh, You know, I want to see every club do that in the springtime. So when you play travel with 30, that allows you to play a first grade 15s match and an 11s reserve grade match. So, Kirk, just, you know, like I get what you're trying to get out here, but I think a, a thing apart, because I've started to really understand your background and resume more and more and more that we chat. I think it'd be really important for everybody to get some context around this is kind of why you have such strong feelings about certain things in the collegiate landscape. Um, and just if you could get to give everybody kind of maybe a bit deeper background of, where your rugby experience is and why you have kind of these concepts and things that have been developed over the years of you being involved in rugby. I think it'd be really important for you to kind of bounce that out for us. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, So I'll give you my background. It's kind of in three buckets. So I've got my time while in Tallahassee, my time during my three years, I've bounced around the country and then my time since I've been in California. So uh, started playing spring 04 as an undergrad at Florida state uh 05 06 made the collegiate south uh usa rugby south collegiate side we went to d2 national championship in santa cruz in spring of 05 as well so uh we were a basic division two club 17 people at training you know like 20 something on the roster standard division two club uh when i graduated no more collegiate eligibility after 06 i started coaching Uh, i stuck around florida state to do uh, to get a master. So then I, I couldn't play. So I started coaching. This is when the Canadian guy, Mike Naylor came into town. Um, and he changed up the organization structure at the club, right? So he basically tasked me to be the director of rugby to help push the club administratively off the field. I also got tasked as the sevens director. So this is back in the time when sevens was just starting to take off. So, uh, I was the sevens director of Florida state. We went up to the ACI, we traveled around, did a bunch of stuff. I ran a sevens series in florida you know ran that up by myself as like a fru collegiate director-esque thing uh and then we went from 17 people on the roster to 70 people on the roster in just a couple of years just because of organization so, right so just digging back at that maybe help as well so that's florida state you guys were a perennial kind of d2 team you've really built yourself into a d1 team where were the other clubs at that stage um kind of like let's just talk about the other six clubs yeah. in the conference like where roughly were they at at that at that time uf was the only division one team in florida at that time and they were good they were really strong um they had been division one for as long as i know and every other program division two we're all about the same UCF, and you're all us usa and, all about, FAU, and about the same the same numbers two of players roughly yep all right right no one was no one was considerably stronger than the rest Okay. UF would smack the shit out of anyone else, but they weren't huge. Got it. Got it. So that was, that was 2006, roughly? Six, seven, eight, nine, ten. right? Team started going Division One, 2011, 2012, 2013. So I think UCF went Division One when Cirque started. Okay, that's great. So then... Sorry, I kind of sidelined you there a little bit, but I think it sure. helps kind of understand yeah. a bit of that context. So then where did you, where did you go from there? Like, is that kind of uh, stopped? So, so while in Tallahassee, level 200 coach, level 300 coach, referee certification. I went to some national, de- I went to a national development summit, which was incredible, right? You go there and you meet other national folks. That's where I met the Penn State coach, learned more about how they operate, how they are under the varsity. Uh, they're a sports club, but under varsity, under athletics, not under recreation. I met the University of Colorado coach. That's where I learned about how they got uh, admissions help, right? Um, so you go to the summits and they're great because you, you meet a shit ton of people. The other thing about being in Tallahassee, which was great, that we've traveled regionally more, right? So I met Marty by going to Tennessee. 
I met Justin Hickey, the then coach of Clemson, now coach of University of Notre Dame. And so when you go to these summits and you, re, you know, you meet with those guys, you hang out with the people they hang out with, right? So like David Fee, USA Sevens, pers- you know, like he's now coaching a lot in the high performance type stuff. So made a lot of connections at the high performance, ask a lot of questions because that's usually what I do. So um, that's at Florida State. When I left Florida State, I bounced around the country for a couple of years. I wasn't attached to any club, but I still did development, right? So when I was in Wisconsin, the Brumbies did a coaching course up in Minneapolis. I went up there. Stephen Markham was actually there. It was a two-day course, Saturday, Sunday. Saturday night, Wallabies played the spring box. I, I stayed up and watched the game. Next morning, I'm there talking to Stephen Markham about his analysis of the game. Had a really interesting chat. Uh, he said, hey, man, if you're ever down in Canberra, you should definitely come give us a shout. The next year, I went to Australia. I went down to Canberra, spent a day and a half down there with the Brumbies. I got to go to a game, watch the game from the coach's box, one of the coolest things in the world. Um, I also went to more national development summits, right? So met more folks, Sean O'Leary, I don't know, a bunch of people. Anyways, did that. And then since I've been in California, uh, when I first got here, I reached out to the one person I knew out here, um, Jeff Bonnet. And he runs Era SoCal. So I got hooked into coaching, helping coach Era SoCal, which Era, do you know what Era is? Oh, yeah, sure do. Salty right. Thompson's. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Salty Thompson's franchise academy program that he ran. SoCal was the first one. So that was the test model to prove that the idea works, right? So I've met Salty Thompson a bunch of times. He was a former USA U17s, U18s coach. When USA stopped funding that age grade stuff, he basically went off and did his own academy to do it himself. Um, so got in with Ira, done that a couple of years. So I've now seen high-performance high school rugby. Um, I was coaching a little bit with Claremont College just down the street. Met That's where I ran into Scott Bracken, the USA U20s coach, right? And then Ray Egan, the former coach of San Diego Breakers in the one year in the pro rugby. Uh, I've now been involved. I'm now into my second high school rugby startup program. The first one I did was Norco High School. So in high school national football rankings, they are ranked, Max Preps has them at 66, right? In Southern California, they are in the state of California, they are seventh. So they're just behind teams like Corona Centennial, Chile John Bosco, which have rugby programs. So I can talk more about those if you want. Um, the other thing I've been doing while well, I'm in California is I picked up the whistle. And, I, and then SoCal referee sent me to the Olympic Training Center to do a uh, high performance like development camp. The other thing I forgot to mention about while I was in Tallahassee is I went and studied under Julie McCoy for seven. So I went and did a couple of uh, sevens tour, USA Rugby South sevens tours with her her, uh, to glean information from her as well. So that's basically my background. Awesome. Yeah, I think it really helps kind of give some context, like the broadness of your experience around all this. And I I remember you've talked about when you're in Tallahassee, you were a part of when the... uh, premier collegiate stuff was popping up and kind of when the fractions started happening then you've kind of experienced a lot of those things through a lot of different different lenses too right yeah the college premier division when that spun away from usa rugby you know i was there in tallahassee during the um usa rugby pushing colleges to go to the conference system pat kane who ran the acrl the atlantic coast rugby league was the first collegiate conference to start, right? So he was actually one of the main drivers to split off the, to change from the GU system, the TU system to the GU system. So yeah, I've been around a bunch of it. Cool. So I think it kind of like, okay, back to you a little bit to your uh, 30 player kind of model thing. I think that kind of helps. You've seen enough of it to realize what actually really works in terms of high performance and seeing teams rise really quickly, particularly within Florida and then fall back away, you know, like what are the things that they should be striving for and all this stuff. And I think that's kind of roughly what you're getting at with the 30 for 30 thing, right. That we're talking about. Yeah. Right. So if you can travel with 30 players, that means your roster is probably 40 players. Right. And so each year when you lose 30, 40% of uh, your players, because that's typical, that's what happens you're starting at over 20 players, right? So you're starting with more. So how do you, 
how we losing how we losing these players you know what are you are we talking 40 sept are we talking 40 active players coming regularly to practice what are you, what active, are you getting out there? yeah to me to me if they're actively coming to practice and playing games they need to be sipped so just, okay. that number should be pretty tight okay um so then you know so those 40 players equate to 30 roughly each week and now are you talking about graduation, like losing players or just players not coming back and re- not retaining them? What are, you, what are you talking about, that loss of 20 or 30%? Yeah, the majority of it hopefully should be graduation, right? Because now with community colleges, kids going to community colleges, our clubs are skewed older. So it should be graduation, and then you will lose the odd person here and there that stopped playing. Okay. That is, that is typical what's going to happen, yeah. Right, okay, okay. So... Squad of 40, losing 30%. Um, my math's pretty poor. How many guys roughly is that you're losing every year graduating 13, out? Or? 13, to, 13 to 15. So you're starting, to, you're starting at mid-20s. Okay. Returning. Ideally, each year is probably the better way of putting it, right? If I was to look at my roster of 40, returning 20, of the, 20 to 30 of those players each year would be the ideal process. That, I think it would be typical. Ideal would be higher, but that's typical. Okay. Like that, that's what I, everyone's going to experience is my point. Yeah. And, and I think, I think that's on the high side, you know, and obviously, you know, like I, I look at my school's the largest one in the state and we don't return that many each year. So we'd like to, but we just lose them through various different reasons. Um, most of those graduation and we get a lot of kids older. Um, so yeah, like even when I look at that, I think I'll, and, and each year is different. Some years we'll graduate small amount and then obviously going through COVID we pretty much ripped the heart out of our team so um yeah I'm 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 intrigued to know why your number is 40 and not higher yeah no so I mean to me that was the numbers I experienced when I was coaching and when I would talk to the people that was kind of pretty typical stuff uh you yeah so at UCF with such a high skewed older transfer rate your number is going to be higher. Right. So that's, that's a drawback at UCF, but one of the major pluses at UCF is that you are a monster, monster size school, you know? So like every club is going to have pros and cons, but I bet, you know, like school, smaller schools, right. That get more freshmen to come in, right. Like some of these commuter schools, UC, USF, FAU, they're probably more, more, higher percentage of commuter kids, maybe they don't have such an older skewed uh, incoming class. Right. And also uh, FIU and FAU have consortium agreements. So I think that really right. helps them yeah. enable to get the kids younger and keep them in. Um, mm-hmm. So that, that has a, that has something that probably could be utilized. What what's someone like UNF a very small school in our conference? Like what is, would you see their positives would be? So uh, I actually think UCF or UNF has the best like mid-range potential. So are they going to be able to go and recruit on campus as well as you can? No, they can't, right? But um, what does UNF have that no other school in Florida has that I think they should be selling the shit out of it? Go ahead, surfing. tell me. Surfing. That no one up, FAU, FIU, their surf is blocked by the Bahamas. They don't get swells big enough to surf. UNF does, right? So like they could be selling lifestyle to plenty of kids. Come here, hang out, learn to surf, so, play some rugby, blah, blah. Like, and so they could, they could recruit Midwest and Northeast and all that type of stuff. But isn't, I, that, isn't that counterintuitive? So that means they're having to recruit more high school. So you think they need to be recruiting more? So I, they should I, be recruiting I also high think, school. I also think that with a smaller school like them, they, you know, like Axemen have already cracked the door open for rugby on campus, right? And so they don't have the d- distraction of football and these other programs. Like, so I think that right. your university is probably going to be more receptive to them to helping them out than say UCF, Florida State, USF with large football programs. So I think the potential at UNF is different than it is at the larger state schools, but I think it has a lot of great potential. Like, can they go and recruit also in Florida? Hey, like come up here like we've got this awesome school it's right on the coast you can learn to you know learn to you know surf Mm -hmm. and blah 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 sell the lifestyle like i think that is probably a pretty attractive model uh sales pitch that you can probably sell to a lot of kids okay so So i think think they have a different potential than other folks got it got it okay i think it's that's a super interesting thing and i I think the part that stuck out to me in that and all of that is is the uh concept that 
you could probably have a better chance to get in with the school and we're speaking from the outside and assuming on that, you know, we're making assumptions rather than having deep conversations with the school. And I think that could be an interesting to hear, you know, an F on what they perceive their relationship with the school is or could get better with, or he's getting better with. No school is going to want to talk to like a program that's barely holding on. Right. Like, so this is why we need to get to a position that we're thriving even without school support. So that way, when we get school support, it's just, we're still thriving, right? Like we need to get to the point where we're not dependent on schools. So that way, when we go talk to schools, we have more leverage and more power in those conversations. So do you think UNFs should be thriving for still to get this 30 players too? And I, I think Absolutely. they're almost there. Absolutely. Right. Because what, why is it important to have 30? With 30, now you can play reserve grade games. Right. And why is the reserve grade important? Because that is where you develop players for the first grade. So like by having a reserve grade, it makes your first grade better. So tell me like, so reserve grade can, and I'm just speaking more as a devil's advocate here for you. Reserve grade could be a distraction. It can be an afterthought. Um, it often doesn't get a lot of coaching support around that. So like, how do you, how do you make that better? What are the, you know, like, how do you make that a worthwhile experience for you as the coach in the club and so on? So one, your players one through 15 will win you some games, right? But if you want to be a high, higher performing club, you have to win championships. And the players that win you championships are players 16 through 30, 16 through 25. Those are the ones are going to win your championships, right? Because every week you're going to have injuries. You're going to have unavailabilities. Something's going to come up and you're never going to be at full strength when you want it to be. So you need to be big enough and deep enough so that you can be good enough every weekend. So I have eight reserves. I give everybody at least 10 minutes of game time. Is that enough for them? Or do I, should I be playing my eight reserves in the first team in the reserve grade? I mean, do you think that you're going to develop as a player if you get 10 minutes a week? I know the answer to this. hundred percent right. not like the players no. need the players need game time. I just want you to. Yeah, I so, really want you to kind like, of like tell me why. Why is that is? Because I have my theories around it, but I, I think it's so, probably pretty. Yeah, players are going to get better with game time. Right. And the other thing about how to ret- retain players is you give them maximum uh, return on their investment. Right. They're investing training time. So they're going to train two, three times a week, right? And the best way to give them a return is to give them game time every week and give them minutes, right? So if you can't give them minutes in the first grade, you need to give them minutes in the reserve grade. Now you can sit here and say, oh, well, I'll just give them more minutes in the fall, right? But the fall is not where you develop players for your first grade. The fall is for attracting and retaining new players. This is when you get your on-campus recruitment. This is when you maximize that effort and you sink the hooks in as deep as possible and as many players as possible. So how do you do that? What are the, what are the best ways you've seen to sink the hooks in? Offer value, right? Have good, like have good training sessions that are well-planned out. Give people like keep move, get everyone running as much as possible so they feel like they're getting better. Have good messaging, right? Like I'll give you an example of what I mean by messaging, right? Hey guys, you know, we just played a game this weekend. We did not score many points. Today we're going to work on rucking. Why we're going to work on rucking is because we lost a lot of ball, lost a lot of our attacking ball at the rucks. Now, if we have a better understanding of what we need to do to win rucks, we're going to be able to retain the ball longer, meaning we'll have more opportunities to score points, meaning we'll have more opportunity to win. Right. Like how can you message message it so that they understand that rucking is important to scoring points? How can you message things so that's important for the players to understand that what they eat the night before a game impacts their impacts their performance? Right. Like messaging is just what is that you're trying to get across and can you get it across in a way that they understand it and it's digestible? So providing them some quality education, basically, on rugby. Um, Yeah. So. So that's practice. That's like, what are the other ways? Like, like I, I, I'm assuming you need game time and you need lots of game time for these players. Um, and you need some social components so they understand that they're a part of a, a family or a brotherhood or whatever the different term that each team wants to use. Like, what are, what are the other things like that you've seen kind of in your, 
your time that really works to get the hooks in. Yeah. Like good, good trainings. Yeah. You do. And then like have the, the players deal with the social, like coaches stay away from that, but they, it needs to be a part of it. Right. Because <clears throat> you know, what's funny is, uh, you know, what goes with sports, every sport, like, you know what, you know, what goes hand in hand with, uh, kickball drinking, yeah. you know, it goes hand in hand with like tailgating, like, so sports and social like go hand in hand. Right. So if you just, you don't need to focus on the social side of things. What you want to do is you want to like be big enough and attractive enough to a broad range of audience, right? Like there could be some kids that don't care about, about being competitive. Are you going to have a place for them in your club as well? Right. So, so I think, you know, like it's, it's, I think what I was trying to allude to you with that a little bit is like, give them a place to belong. Right. It's kind of like, like, I, I think that's something that I've really worked really hard on here. And I just, I, I'm intrigued from your perspective, what you feel like are different ways that, because you talk about the fall not being for development. We're really going to make sure that we're playing two games every weekend in the spring, which I think is great. But like, how do you, how do we make sure that one, we get the hooks into them and that they're, that they're fully committed to rugby. Right. And then, and then I suppose, the follow-up question is how do you know you've got the hooks into them? How do we know that we've got them hooked for this, for the season and hooked for the rest of their time at school? Right. I mean, uh, it's got, you got to give them some game. So like, I think with the fall, like what is the minimum duration of a preseason you need to run a quality 15s preseason? How many games do you think, how many games do you think you need to play? I think it's at least four games um it depends on where we've we've had this conversation around sevens you know like depends on how much sevens take take the the sevens out take the sevens out i think it's at least four probably maximum of six games and and by games i mean weekends you could go to a tournament you could just active weekends doing rugby um so i i like games is a games is a generic thing because sometimes we'll do like around right. robin and we can get more but yeah. basically a weekend a- of active rugby, active weekends active weekend i think it's at least four um if not six it really and also depends on your group too so if your group is raw and hasn't you know the vast majority haven't played a lot of rugby i think you're going to need to get more rugby in them whereas if the group has got some rugby now which i think comes back to your component if you have 20 players returning and that develops the core of your group, then you probably don't need, you know, six or seven games for the fall. You really just need, you know, three to four games to really refine and have, let them enjoy their college experience. Right. Yeah. Like you should, players should have a college experience and a rugby experience, but their entire college experience should not be rugby. So I don't, I think six is too much. I think four is the number. And then the question, and then I think you probably need two or three weeks of training in the beginning, right? Because you can't ask the people to train for too long without giving them games, right? Because you'll start losing players. Agreed. But then if you do it too early, they're not going to be prepared, right? So there's this balance that you have to strike there. But to me, the longer you go in the fall, the less attractive you are going to be to a larger group of audience because you're asking too much of them. So you need to find the minimum and just do that and nothing more. It's okay to give people less right? Because if you give them less, they're wanting more. If you give them too much, they're out. Right. But the, I, I think, I think counter to that too, is the value, right? So players perceive sure. value as playing games. So yes, but this, like this you, is where in, so the games that we need to be playing, right? So we're, 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 I think what we're hinting around here more is developing players for the first grade. Got it. Right. So where the development for the first grade happens is on the reserve side in the spring, right? Like just take, for example, high school football. High school football doesn't play JV in the summer. So those players can then play varsity in the fall, right? They run their JV and varsity at the same time. Granted, football is different. It's a very coach intensive game, right? Like the coaches are making calls and all that type of stuff. So maybe basketball is the better way to look at it because basketball is a very player oriented game. The coaches don't call, don't make calls, right? Like the players have to play. So again, even high school basketball, they play their varsity and JV at the same time because they're using their JV to develop for varsity for next year. And that's where we need to get to. I, I, I think, I think 
you're spot on there in terms of they need to be both be playing because that then allows you to have your roster playing at all times. But I also think there's the variable that is really difficult is the amount of brand new to the sport players you have dictates a lot. So I, I think there's so much upskill that you have to do to them um, that require the, the, the only way they can get the concept is to physically play the game. So I think there's, sure. there's, there's a part in there that like there has to be an asterisk to your, to your number, depending upon what your group actually looks like. Fair. Like, you know, the, the minimum 30 is like the bare minimum. Like I'd rather see that number like 35. Cause then when you're at 35, you, you got like, you'll have eight like brand new players. So in that 11s game, right. The reason I like 11s for the reserve grade is that it keeps the spine in line two, eight, nine, 10, 15. So if you have experienced players in the spine, you can just put, plug and play people around them in the plural positions, props, locks, flankers, centers, wings. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So so I like the 11s idea because it reduces the number of plural positions. It keeps the spine intact. So as long as you got quality people in those spine positions, you'll be fine. And like, I also think that you need to give players more uh, benefit of the doubt. They'll be fine. Like I have played so many brand new players after like two weeks. They'll do fine. Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree that, Brad, there are certain players that really do really well and athletically, what I call them is athletically so, smart players. And then there are other ones that just, just need, and you need them in that. You need them. How do you, how do you message the importance of the reserve grade to players who think they should be on the first grade? That's a very difficult one. And that is this, I don't, my, this mindset of, being in the first team, which we all want them to strive to be there, but not by not being in there is instantly means that they're a failure. And I, and I, I don't have the solid answer to that one. So what I always would tell people is that, listen, we have more than 15 first 15 quality players. So what am I supposed to do? Right. So the, I need to get you game time in the place that, so you think you deserve to be on the first grade. Okay. The, you know where you prove it is in the reserve grade. You go down to the reserve grade, and if you do the basics well, you are going to excel at this game, okay? Now, here's another question for you. What makes you a good player? Are you a good player because you play because you play with good people, right? Like, you can only be good when you're surrounded by good players. Or are you a good player because you make the people around you better? So are you delivering this questioning and messaging one-to-one these are these are those micro interactions that you have to have with players to keep them engaged yeah this is the one-to-one conversation the reserve the importance of the reserve grade you know we have more than the first team quality for yeah i don't know if i would say that out loud i would probably these are these are those guys that you know these are 16 17 you know this is player 16 17 18 19 right these are those guys that you need on the bench for your first grade so, but they need minutes, right? Like the most important people to develop in your club are players 16 through 30. Yeah. Right. And, 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 and dig into that more because I, I think there's injuries and all this stuff. So it's that messaging around that. And I think Florida state is the team over the past, well, I've been doing this five years with UCF and that they have consistently delivered quality B side players and matches so I'm clearly that Gomez does a really good job with that. And obviously that's come through what you were prior to him. So like, I, I suppose my question back to you is how do you guys make that a cultural thing within the club to make sure that reserve grade do it? And, and I think it's kind of diluting to the fact that you always try to play that game first, that shows yeah. real value to them. But I think there's got to be other deeper hooks to it too. It's like, how do you, how do you ensure, like ensuring they, I think the other thing, so, Mike, you, go ahead. You know the other thing, the other thing you do? is that during the springtime, you don't focus on the first grade. You focus, like the, the players that get the most amount of attention are players 16 through 30, right? Because if you push 16 through 30, they're going to push players one through 15. And players one through 15 have to get better to maintain their position. So you literally don't even have to talk to players one through 15 that much, right? Like if you give all your coaching attention to 16 through 30, it makes the club better. So, and- Just through bro- competition. I- are you rotating them in, giving them 
they give the dog a bone per se every so often or you so this is where if you are a competitive a competitive team you're going to base your selections on performance so if those guys um, one through 15 start slipping in 16 through 30 warrant selection you start them got it so, so this is where this is where you have to have film you have to be good at analyzing film you have to be good at understanding like where the team's at where the players are at and then give the messaging back you need for that right right so it's 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 getting it's being setting a good those, coach yeah no. good, yeah setting the standards being a good coach and following through on it so i i think i think kind of digging back to your coaching component coaching is often just deliver what we do on the field and i think there's a lot more man management stuff with what you're talking about and this comes comes back to the why should we care if i'm the coach of the first team why do i care what the other why do i care that i have a squad of 30 plus players when i really only need 15 players to you know 15 strong or 16 strong and we're, and we're ready to go. So the first year we played the CERC final, we played UCF in the final. Um, our big inside center went down. So we had to make three changes um, to beat UCF, right? And this is when Nichols was playing 13. Huge center, right? Tough motherfucker to put on the deck, right? So like going into the game, we lost our, we lost our starting center and we lost our backup center. Right. So I was down, I had to make some big changes and just going into that game. Right. Like we had a winger, Matt Prophet, who could tackle like a motherfucker. So, you know, right. I remember like 30 minutes for a game. Everyone's like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? We don't have Bintek. I was like, listen, this is what's happening. Right. Like 13, you're moving to 12, 14, you're moving to 13. All you got to do is tackle Nichols. That's it. Just put him on the deck. Every time he touches him, put him on the deck, right? And we brought in our reserve winger into the game. And guess what happened? Like, we did that. He did that, put Nichols on the deck every time. We're also playing against UCF. This is before UCF could, like, handle a ball. If you put UCF, if you sustain defense for three phases, they were going to knock it off. So we just kicked the ball down the field. We played good defense, and they gave us possession so many times inside their own half. So what you're getting at is you had a core squad that could handle any changes and, and to kind of adaptions yeah. to that. So like, this is where, like, this is why the regular season is so important to have a long regular season, because what you want to be able to have in the regular season is a, is the cream rise to the top, right? This is what drove me insane about these four, five match regular season schedules, like one and done one mistake and you're out. I want a right. season long enough where you can make a mistake and still be able to be in it. Right. And, and, and I think we've kind of developed that in the, uh, in, in our conference now is that yeah. with, so, the, with the playoff structure and all of that. So like, how do you sustain that player development through the course of the season like that too? So the fall, you just attract and retain, get the hooks and new players. Right. And then in the springtime, like you really focus on development of 16 through 30, get those guys moving forward. They'll get the top side going, right? You have to watch film. You have to give macro feedback to your top side. We need to be better here, you know, set piece, blah, 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 whatever. But then if you, if you push the player development at 16 through 30, it'll push the top side, right? So now you're getting not just the top moving forward, but the group in behind them moving forward as well. And then, so in, in the regular season, you're still focusing on development, Right. It's not until playoffs that you, you drop the second team and now you're focusing on high performance. Like you literally don't need to do that until playoff time. Because that's it. when you want to be, that's when you want to be peaking. And when you're peaking, you got to be hitting on all cylinders. Got it. So then those players who've kind of given their work through the course of the regular season, they either are practice or they maybe fall off a little bit, but then, you know, you're getting them back in for that next year when, you know, like in yeah. theory, would you say that next year, this is the best year of their performance? Yeah. So players player. get better. New players get better their second spring. That's when they really grow because the first year they grow, they go through the system, right? Cause you need to get to a system point of view. The first year they go through the system, everything's brand new. Everything's new, right? They're wide eyed. The second year, nothing's a surprise to them. So that is where players do the majority of their growth. And then in the third year is when they're competing. That's when they're. That's when you're getting a lot of a lot out of them consistently, right? right? 
So like okay. we need to get to the point where our teams are thinking on these long-term horizons, not just one year, not spring, well, fall into spring, but spring to the next spring to the next spring. Got it. Got it. So um, when talking about that, it's probably really important too when recruiting that you try to recruit as young as possible so you've got more time with them. Yeah, I, I would say, yeah, you invest more of your time into the younger guys, but like throw the biggest net out possible. And if it's seniors, who cares, right? Like, especially, like if you've got a really good athletic senior, okay, like give him a bit of, you know, give him a little bit of time in the beginning. And if he can go and he can be an impact sub, great, great. You know, like he'll, he's going to be pissed off enough as it is that he didn't play earlier, right? That always happens with a brand new senior player. They love the sport and they're mad they didn't get in earlier. So like, Give them a little bit of time and see what happens. And if they don't, they don't, whatever. But the, yeah. Got it. Yeah. Okay. So it's a pretty, like, yeah. Go ahead. Having a wide net is how you catch the Malachi's, right? This right. is how you get these special athletes, right? Like, you don't, if you just focus on getting like the best athletes, you're not going to get them, right? Like, you'll get a couple of them, but, you, but your base is so small that you're not sustainable. Like, the best way to be sustainable is be as big as possible. Everybody, right. Bring everyone. Right. Right. And, and offering better practices, you can offer better practices with better numbers and so on. But like, like what, what would you say to some, maybe some of the smaller clubs came back to you and well, yeah, that's great for Florida state. Like, but how does, how does that actually work for us? You know, like, because that's, that's also a challenge, you know, like they're stuck at that. Yeah. It's easy to say run a good practice, but you're stuck at that 10 player base, you know, like, so what do you, or 10 players or 10 to 12 players of practice? Like, what do, what do you, what do you think on that? I, like FAU, like, you know, when Big John was coaching back when I was playing, they had more than that, right? Like UNF, I'm pretty certain, you know, like before COVID hit, they had, you know, like mid-20s. The hardest part is to go from like 20 players to 32 players. That is the hardest hump to get over. Why is that? Why, why is it the hardest hump? Like what is... Because how, do you, how do you give those players 16 through, you know, because... How do you get people to keep coming back out? It's through game time, right? And how do you give those players like more game time? Like when it's, when you're at like 20 to 30 players, you have to play the reserve grade second. And that makes the game an afterthought, right? Because the reserve grade, when they have to warm up, the first game is going. So they're not going to want to warm up. They're going to want to watch the game. Right. So you need to get past, you need to go from 20, you need to rock it up to 32. 30, 32, because then you can play your reserve grade first, right? And let's let's go through the mechanics of this real quick. So you na- how do you how do you handle it? You name your first 15 players. You don't even have to name the reserves if you don't want to, right? You put everyone else in the in the left and play 11s first, right? So then if you want, you can take your four best substitutes, pull them at halftime, and they'll be on the bench for your first grade. I mean, like, let's just be honest. How many times do we have teams traveling with 19 players? It happens quite a bit. So like, what is the difference? Like you're trying to tell me if a player plays in the first half of the 11s match, doesn't come into the second half of the 15s game that happens second. That's like an hour to fucking recover. Are you trying to tell me they can't, a, a young kid can't recover well enough to go in and make an impact after an hour? Yeah, I, I think I think what you're trying to, the worry that we sit at as coaches and I'm a, I'm, I'm a believer in reserve first. So I'm, I'm, not discounting that, but I, I know the feedback that we get and the concern is, oh, what happens if I take an injury to one of my reserves? That and then, then I need take a fucking injury. And then exactly. So that that's I think that's the mindset that I think you more need to change because that's what happens is all right. This game means a lot to me. Um, so if, so if, if you're gonna if you want to win every battle to lose the war, go for it. But yes, are you gonna? Is there a chance you might lose a battle? Yes, but you're gonna win the war in the long term. Okay, so it's the long-term view that you need to take with this is that it's more important that we do that. And you can, you can manage your players through reserve grade more easily because it's rolling subs. You can go, all right, I'm going to put you in for 10 here, 10 there, and then we're going to make sure you get those minutes over there. Like, like I, I'm all in agreement with you because you know, that's the way I grew up playing rugby, and I hate it when people say that, well, this is how we used to do it or this is how it's done over in this country, this is how it's done here. But there's a lot of validity to understanding that your a player should show up every single Saturday and expect at least 40, 40 plus minutes of rugby. And I think that's, that's the minimum count that everybody every week should be getting. If you're 
players are walking away with five minutes of rugby, I don't think you got that. You know, so I think it has to be some standards there. If you travel with 20 players and it's a tight game and you don't get people minutes, they're going to lose their shit. I was just talking to Kraus. He ran into another former player of mine. He was like a reserve grade winger cracking into the first grade of senior year. We went on a tour up to North Carolina and I told him I was going to get him into a first grade match. And I just like, I think I just had a total brain fart and didn't get him in. He's still holding the grudge to this day. That was like a decade ago. Right. Right. That thing's happened. So yeah, it, it's, it sits with players a long, long time, that stuff. And I, and I think minutes is really important. It's exactly what you're going at before. It's like, why, what's the value we're doing? Play the current, the, you're going to practice to play games. So we need to make sure that they're getting adequate game time. So let's, let, let's, let's just break it down real quick here. Like, okay, so UCF, right? They have all the potential in the world, 18,000 fucking men to choose from. Maybe a consorting agreement too. But the, what's the big drawback of UCF? No lights on your field, right? So like when daylight savings comes, you're really hamstrung for quality minutes at training, aren't you? Hamstrung for that. It's a difficult time slot uh, around work and- um, For your coaches. Work for coaches. So we don't get as many coaches. And two, it's a really difficult time slot for the players. Players often say it's really hard for them to get there at four. So it's a, it's a challenge. Um, I think that's one of our biggest ones. The other part is- you know, it, it's it's difficult to be seen on campus at times. And that's something that we've got to, in a school as large as what ours is, it's difficult to, to have a voice on campus. And that's something that we've got to get better at. So like the problem with FIU and their consortium agreements, yeah, like they've got campuses all over the fucking place, right? And they have like limited field availability. Like, so what's their solution? I don't know, maybe it's to go off campus and get onto a park with, uh, you know, like, yeah, and now and, you have to deal with the city municipality, which is another problem. But like, my point is everyone has problems, right? Like Florida State, right? Like they've got this wonderful facility, but the problem was that they built a facility so big that they don't have enough money for maintenance on a yearly basis. So that like the moment a blade of grass gets cut the wrong way, they shut down the field because they don't have the money to repair, right? So like they actually have a, a really hard time getting on that field at times. So it looks great from the outside, wonderful facility, but it's a motherfucker to get on that thing. Right. And it's, and it's, everybody has those different challenges that are unique to each right. school. So I think well, that's, go yeah, ahead. The point is that every club in Florida has about the same amount of potential. Like everyone's got their pros, everyone's got their cons. Everyone has the same amount of potential. Where does that take us? We don't know. Let's go find out. But right now, like <laughs> no one club has got it better than the other is my point. Right. So wrapping this all up is you think that every club should easily have be able to travel or play each weekend with 30 players. That that should be their conceivable goal for us to achieve within the short term, which is next season or two. So if we've all got good rosters this year, we all should be looking to be 30 deep. Yeah, I'm not going to say it's going to be easy, yeah, like because what it requires is, is mind shift changes, which are the hardest things to change. But yeah, I, I think that if we get our minds right, Next year, we should be playing 30 plus. Everyone should be able to play 30 plus. Yeah. So that, that, should, that should be a goal for our teams to be doing that, to be really, and to, to get down that mindset, I think also needs to be that we need to retain those players that are in. So let's say I'm at 29 right now, right? Who are traveling this weekend. Obviously, there's a bunch missing, but 29 traveling, making sure that those uh, 14 players that are not starting in the first part of the first game that they're getting adequate number of games and like, they're playing it, 11s and doing all of that. I think that mindset has to start this year. Right now. Yeah. Like if you, if you're going into this game, like trying to win at all costs, you are nuts, right? Like we, you should be, we never want to lose. The, you never want to lose to Florida state, you know, the yeah. saying, so fuck FSU. Sure. But like, you should be looking at like, who's the spine of your team? Who's the backup spine? What are some center combinations? You should be testing these things out. You should be like experimenting like if so, if a player is like, I want to be playing fly half, now is the time to give them some minutes and let them try, right? Like, or right. you do it in a reserve grade, you know, but like if you're going to win at all costs into this weekend, you're fucking stupid. They call me stupid. It's not very nice. <laughs> no, but I mean, it, like it, you're you're missing the forest for the trees. No, a hundred percent. And that's and that's been a thing that we as so as a coaching group, we've talked a lot this week. So we love to play Florida State. It's one of our we always start the game for this one. It's it's a big time rivalry one for us ever since I've been coaching there. And it's just been such an enjoyable 
experience Tallahassee's fun to play in all of those parts and it's been really important with the messaging we've been delivering to the players is about execution of what we're trying to be practicing on and the same thing with the coaching group is like let's not get focused on who we're starting and what and all of that let's not think about winning when you're trying to build out the squad and really understand these players more and really like build the core of what the of what this trip is about so it's been difficult at times because it's really easy as a coach to get lost in that hey i want to win at all costs mindset and then i have to stop myself and say no and stop my coach and say no we're not worried about that right now we're really worried about making sure we get great cohesion going with the team and making sure that the fundamental things that we've been delivering that they can start to deliver those on the on the game field so that that's like i'm i'm with you i'm just kind of messing around but it, yeah. it's definitely it's definitely a mindset thing that Often yeah. it's difficult, you know, and, and this year, compared to a lot of other years, we've had a lot more numbers in the fall. Uh, we, you know, we had a notoriously a poor fall team because we have such bad numbers, but we've recruited really well this year. And so I'm confident in that and that we can then start to deliver more come the spring because we usually recruit over the course of the spring as well. It's generally, and we pick up some of our best athletes usually in the spring because they are seem to be preoccupied in the fall and then come the spring it's when we do them we onboard them exactly the same way you've talked about so um i'm with you on that so um so those those are all nice features that i can see yeah the hardest thing to the hardest thing to get your players to understand is patience right like i, I feel like the exact same message i'm trying to get out to the clubs about like patience when it comes to pathways you know like there's no difference right right no i, I agreed agreed well, Kirk, it's been good chat. I think we should uh, wrap it up. I'm sure everybody's sick of listening to you and I rabble on a little bit. Um, but uh, thank you. I think for me, when I put my coach's hat on, this is definitely something that I will be taking to heart and try to really strive to get to that 30 marker. And I can use a quantitative mark and say, how many players do we have available for this weekend? All right, do we hit it? Yes, no. And then we can kind of use that at the back end of the season as a way to measure how we achieve these things. Yep. Yep. Good luck. Well, thanks, Kirk. Appreciate it, mate. Um, I will talk to you soon. All right, man. One major thing, guys, uh, I forgot to mention. So when we were talking earlier about how can you tell if you have hooks in your players, do they pay their dues? That's a massive one, right? So the dues question about how much you charge, that's another question for another day. But if people are excited about playing, they're going to pay their dues. So uh, that's one way to check if you have your hooks into your players or not. So um, you can use game time as leverage, right? Like you don't pay, you don't play. Um, are you actually going to hold them to that? That's another question, but yeah. So. Yeah. Can you think of any other like hooks that would, you could really like either measurable Flag. or even. Like what you get, you give them some kit that'll get their hooks in quicker. Right. Right. Okay. So kit. So kit, paying dues. Um, what are the other ways you can kind of like? Is there an ad? I think there's an attitude thing. Um, like I, we often measure how many of the newer guys are returning to practice on a regular basis. So we're like, oh, this guy's committed because he's. I see him come to every single Tuesday and Thursday practice. Like I, I can think of that as another way of like really trying to measure. Well, do you another way is to like when they when they don't show up, text them, hey we missed you at training. Is everything okay? Right. Like you can ask them in a way that's like, not, Hey, we, like you need to come back to training. It's like, Hey, is everything all right? You ask us a question to elicit a response. And a lot of times you'll get them to come back out. So like right. if the hook is slipping, you can re-engage it just by getting them to come out. And as long as you have good, a good training session and they feel like they're getting better, guess what? They're likely to come back out to the next one. Got it. Got it. I, and, I, and I think that's, that's really important to me is like, the more measurable items you have, and these are all, some of them are just natural to some people where they're just go, okay, I'm just going to reach out to them and make sure that's good. But I think it's just, a, we all thought about that more. I think we could be better at retaining some of these, particularly peripheral players. I think that they're the ones like you're talking about. And I think we're even talking about players 20 through 30. Yeah. You know, they're not the, they're not the highly committed guys who are going to make impactful first 15 minutes. These are the guys that are, that'll maybe develop into that in three or four years but a really like a core component of your club. Yeah. I mean, because like everyone needs money. Right. So like players like, you know, 35 and up, right. Or 25 through 40, 
they their money is the exact same as players one through 15, right? And then who's going to benefit from that money? Everybody. Right. So like, this is what I'm talking about when you have a wide base, right? Like when you have a wide base, are all of them going to be supreme athletes? No, no, right? Like, but these are the guys that prop up and they're the glue, like they're the, they're the base of your club. They're the ones that prop up your club. So, cool. you know, like a pyramid, the wider your base is, the taller it can be. If you have a skinny base, right? And, but you're really tall. It's unstable. It's really unstable. So like, yeah, are all of them going to be great athletes? No, no, of course not. You know, like some of them just want to like, you know, I had plenty of kids that were like violinists or tennis players or whatever, right? They'd never played a contact sport in their life. But like you said earlier, is there a place for them? Yeah, there should be. Yeah. All right. I 100% agree. So nothing better than seeing like a kid that's softer than puppy dog kisses make a tackle. It'll like oh, your whole team will go ballistic. I, I've experienced that firsthand. And, and in fact, those guys are your culture keepers. Yeah. They're the ones that often will keep the riffraff from misbehaving and, and, and doing that. They're the ones who the team actually gets very vested in because they, they you know, players are very observant. What I found is we used to have this player Juvens, who was great, but you know, he scored a try against Dartmouth and my whole team erupted with craziness. They just couldn't believe that we barely scored any tries against Dartmouth and we were getting spanked. And then he goes down, we put him on to the last 10 minutes of the game and he scores a try and, and Dartmouth couldn't, they, they thought we were acting like we won the game just because of how excited the whole extended squad was that he got, got on and scored a try. So it was, it was, those are the moments that I think hook these kids and hook the whole squad as well. So they, they provide a lot of value on that side of things too. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Cool. All right. Well, I think we wasted a little bit more of everybody's time, but uh, you know, I think, I think it was needed. All right. Thanks, mate. Cool. Thanks guys.